This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Norlin Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith, and joining me, as always, are James, Kevin, and Natalie to go over two more wins for Burnley, the unstoppable Burnley at the moment. A 3 2 victory at Fulham on Tuesday night, followed by a 3 1 victory at Huddersfield Town on Saturday. Two grounds that we hadn't won at for a long time. More hoodoos put to bed. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you then. That win at Fulham, Burnley not particularly good in the first half, but bounced back in some style really after the break um, yeah we, we were all over, over the place in the first half um, and we, 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 were, we were second to every ball um, and it was quite frustrating really because they were clearly very poor particularly um, on the ball at the back um, and it was frustrating that we, we weren't taking advantage of that but yeah I think uh, Dice mentioned that at half time he reminded the players that they were up at the top for a reason um, and we certainly seemed to come out with a bit more bite. Um, they had a bit more energy, um, and yeah, we got back into the game quite soon. And I think you, you almost sensed after after that goal went in, uh, the penalty, the first five minutes after that, we were we looked very strong. And I think from then on, you sensed we 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 were probably going to go on to win this, and, and we duly did. It was a very strange opening to the game, wasn't it? Because we were. Second best for the first few minutes, but then scored from, I think, our first set piece, but then offered absolutely nothing for the rest of the first half. James, do you think there were some nerves with the players? We talked last week about coping with the expectation, but there seems to be a bit of a lack of, of taking responsibility. Um, I'm not sure about nerves. It is an interesting one, though, because I think um, I think Fulham are probably one of the best attacking sides in the league, so it's it's a difficult one because, obviously, they, they do score a lot of goals, I think, every time... Dembele or um, McCormack got the ball. They looked really dangerous. Um, but we did look like we sort of stepped off a little bit. And I think that's the same as what we did second half against Blackburn. We seemed to almost encourage them to come on. And um, the difference between the two sides was that Fulham can finish and, and Blackburn can't. Yeah, it's, it was odd for me because I've not seen Burnley that unwilling to sort of pass the ball, keep the ball. Everyone just seemed to be just not taking responsibility both yeah. fullbacks were particularly poor in that full stuff it's very I, I do think as well that, that Freddie Overstad I don't want to say he was really poor but he he just didn't really he wasn't really noticeable was he I think the game sort of passed him by 
I, I, I'll, I'll say it was really poor. I was really... I, I, yeah, I think it is fair to say he was poor, actually. Yeah, I was really looking forward to seeing him, and yeah, he he was poor. You know, I think on the ball, he's he offers some really nice touches, and I think he almost scored a really good goal actually. But um, off the ball, he was he was absolutely horrendous. I think it's one of the worst off the ball performances I've seen in a long time. I think throughout throughout the match, he was just dragged all over the place, um, and I think that probably contributed to to the amount of pressure we were put under. Um, he, he did nearly cost us a goal in Europe for a half time when he seemed to take two touches too many and yeah. And had it taken off him when really he should just... had the ball all half. I think I don't. I don't remember seeing him. I don't think he won a tackle all half. Players were just constantly no, just, running off him. I just felt like it, it passed him by. He has quite a strange style though, doesn't he? The way he moves, he doesn't really look like he's going to go win the ball. Someone so he um, reminds me of Kevin McDonald actually off the ball. The way that he just doesn't really seem aware of what's going on. He just kind of he just kind of seems to run near the person with the ball, doesn't he? Rather than, you know, with purpose goes after the ball to get it back. Um, so no, I, I think that really was a big part of why we looked so poor defensively. Because if you don't win the ball back in the midfield, obviously it just goes straight to their attackers, and then you, you're on the back foot. I think the problem is he looks like he's the sort of player who can't really play in a four-four-two. Uh, which is a little bit problematic uh, playing a team that plays nothing but four four two, ever. Yeah, but then he, he played really well at Arsenal. I think it, it's difficult because he's obviously he's not played a lot. And last week we talked about how he was going to come in, and then it was good that he'd played half an hour here and there recently. But it's still totally different when you start a game and you've got to adapt to the pace that way. And we know that Fulham are, are a good attacking side; they've scored a lot of goals, so it was always going to be a challenge. I think some of it might be experienced as well because I thought when uh, Dean Morney came on, he changed the game. And uh, I was surprised when I was reading um, one of the Clarets message boards where they do player reviews um, with a number of people giving Dean Morney quite a low score because I really did think he came on and he, he changed the game for us. Um, a catalyst, yeah. Which I don't know, that I could say more about um, Overstad's performance than, than Morney's maybe, but. Um, I still thought he came on and offered something different and, and helped us put the game back in our control. Natalie, we talked about um, Overstad and Jones and the comparison between them and fans clamouring for Overstad to come in, but was it a case of missing David Jones as much as anything else? I think one of the last times he was missing was at Hull when we got beaten quite heavily. and It could have been the same on Tuesday. Yeah, I really do think so. Um, I, I share your view with this one, Jamie. I'm a huge fan of Jones, and it just went to show that when he came back into the into the side, you know, the team just looked more stable. And I think Dyche is a huge fan of consistency in, in his team selection and consistency in the players. And Jones, Jones and uh, Barton together have just played so well this season that just. It almost felt a little bit nervous when Jones was missing in that they didn't really know where each other was and they didn't really know you know what to do. And as soon as Jones came back, it was you know business as usual and there's a calmness that came back onto the midfield. And of course, Jones got two assists at Huddersfield with um, the corners that he took, which we probably missed a little bit, although we did score from a corner um, at Fulham as well when he wasn't there. So maybe not that much of a difference. Um was was the rep- the response in the second half though, Kevin? Again, we've talked about um, how we've won games despite not playing that well. There were Fulham fans coming out of the ground wondering how they'd managed to lose, but it's another sign that we don't have to play well. We just scrap games out, and once we got in front, 
didn't really look like surrendering the lead. Uh, definitely, yeah, and I think we, we, you know, we were very lucky to go into the into half time with the game still within grasp. Really, I think we we probably could and maybe should have conceded two more in the first half, which is usually not the case. Actually, we usually um, have very little of possession in, in, when we're playing like that, but still managed to defend quite solidly. But yeah, I think as soon as we as soon as we took the lead, the, the game was ours. Really. Um, uh, we we played so much better in the second half, and I think the the faults we had in the first half, which was um, giving them so much space and time down the down the wings, we we completely cut out in the second, um, and also being being second to the ball in the midfield, um, our passing improved, and yeah, I think we looked a completely different team, and I don't think it was I don't think it was, it was any doubt as far as I was concerned when the, when the winning goal went in that we were going to uh, carry out. But you, you know you, you can feel you can feel for Fulham fans really because if you play with such um, attack attacking intensity as they did against us in the first half, and like I said, they really should have been uh, maybe maybe four four one up at half time. Uh, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been too much of a surprise if they were. If you're playing like that against uh, the team at the top of the league, then you, you're going to be disappointed not to come away with a win. Um, but I think objectively, uh, we, we we deserved our win. That did. did. Defend particularly badly as well, so you've got to take that into account. I think a couple of key moments, there were a couple of big Michael Keane blocks just before half time. If he hadn't made them, maybe it would have been 3 1 4 1 at half time, and then it's it's a bigger task to come back. Um, Natalie, the winning goal again, Andre Gray coming up with a fantastic strike. He just seems to be able to, to produce at, at big moments at the moment. Oh, it doesn't it? Uh, that goal was absolutely superb, and I think uh, just, I still every time I look at it, I'm still not sure how he's managed to to just stay that strong and get past those defenders and just put it in the back of the net. It just looked like he was like <laughs> like he was never going to get muscled off that ball. Um, we've said it before, and, and then I'll say it again. You know, he has been criticised for disappearing in big big games, and he's, he's proving those doubters wrong. And that you know he can step up and, and score some really crucial goals when needs to regardless of what he's done for the rest of the game he can he can have a really quiet you know 70 80 minutes and just step up with some absolute pearlers absolutely and i think as long as he keeps doing that we won't be too fussed if he's quiet in certain games sam bolts as well james he was excellent on that two more goals he's on a, a real hot streak at the moment yeah no he's, he's scoring really well and i think um you know our, our real push for for the title is um has revolved around his goals because I think obviously Andre Greer has not maybe got as many as you'd expect recently um, and obviously it's great to see him back in that kind of form um, and this is the first time we've seen him scoring scoring goals like this since the uh, cruciate injury so um, you know it's positive all around is it? I think Volts was quoted in the press recently wasn't he saying that the goal now is for, for him and Gray to get more goals than Volts and Ings did in the promotion season two years ago, when I think they ended up with 47 in all competitions. What do you think the the differences is between the, the, the two pairings? Because they're both obviously very effective at this level. Yeah, it's interesting. I think they're completely different, aren't they, really? Um, you know, with with Forks and Ings, you felt more like I think Ings running for, for stuff from Forks was quite a you know, integral part of it. The ball come into Volks, he'd hold it up while Ings overlapped and he'd, he'd play him in. I don't think that really happens the same with, with Andre Gray. I think Gray, I don't know, I think they seem to both want it from the midfield, don't they? Um, 
and I think obviously Gray's goals come from a different different style from uh, Volks. Um, it's just I think it's a completely different partnership, really. I think it's really positive that, that Volts has shown that ability to play with different strikers. It took a little while, I think, for the partnership with Gray to start gelling, but now I think they look maybe more dangerous than, than Volts and Ings. They seem telepathic at, at times. Um, Kevin, another thing to pick out from the Fulham game. We weren't particularly strong defensively, but again, it was Joey Barton in midfield that seemed to just make sure we got through it. In the second half, when we were coming on some pressure, think that Barton was outstanding again yeah definitely I think it's what similar to what we've talked about um a little bit recently but it's not just his his um it's particularly his his ability in itself that he brings to the team but it's that it's the way he controls the team not just with the ball but he controls the whole team I think as as a unit um almost like like Natalie was saying last week quite controversially almost captain-esque um but yeah, he's got that real authority over the team. And I think there's been quite a few occasions this season where actually it, the way the whole team has played is depending on how he's played. Um, I'm thinking of one one very notable example being the, the game at Ewood um, when he had a quiet start to the game. And obviously he then uh, wanted a penalty, didn't get it. And that really, really fired him up. And it was no, no coincidence that the 20 minutes after that was probably our best 20 minutes uh, spell of the game. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he's integral to how we play, I think. Um, and... I think you know we talked about missing Jones against Fulham. I think we'd have the same effect if if Marnie, if sorry, if uh, if Barton was to drop out of the team because I, I think yeah, I think the whole of what we do is is so dependent on him. Off off the field, it was a a good atmosphere in the way, and for the first few minutes, but then a bit quiet until half time. But then something very very odd happened. You want to talk us through the the, the birth of, of an incredible new chant? It was it was it was it was yes, incredible is the, is the word. I think it, it was it started just by us actually because I think somebody somebody started doing the high ho theme and Ben Me came into it and I think I turned to uh, I think I turned to Adam and said this is the worst chant in the history of the world, and then a few more people joined in. I think within within ten minutes or ten sorry ten seconds it. Had, turned into the best chant in the history of the world. Um and I think we sang it for about ten, fifteen minutes nonstop. And I think we all we all came out of the match um with our chest quite hurting because it's a song if you try to sing the Ben Me song, which I'm sure Adam can add in in the edit, it's very, very it's pretty much impossible to breathe during it. So we pretty much had fifteen minutes without breathing. Um which is not recommended. <laughs> Um, I can exclusively yeah. review. I, I work for the British Lung Foundation. I can I can confirm that it's official uh, policy of it. Yeah, not breathing is is bad. That's a health advice on the Never podcast. Yeah, um, and I think it was obviously it was great that he he went and scored in the next match, which obviously was obviously was inspired by us. So I think we can <laughs> pretty much. T- we can pretty much claim the entire credit for the, for the Huddersfield win, I think. <laughs> Someone was asking me about the chant, actually, and said, uh, did he have a particularly good game at Fulham then? And I was like, no. That's <laughs> probably the worst game he's had since he went to centre-back. Yeah, uh, he, was, he, was probably at, he was probably behind all the side he was out. I think he was one of our worst players in the in the first half. And particularly that their, their second goal, he was, well, I don't know what he was doing. He, he just watched it float past him. Which is, yeah, I don't know why it happened then, but it did. Uh, moving on to Huddersfield then. 
Um, Natalie again, Burnley got an early goal, but this time seemed to always be in complete control of the game, got a second before half-time. And then as soon as Huddersfield got one back, scored again. Yeah, they did. It was a really, really solid performance against Huddersfield, one of my most enjoyable games this season. They never, even when... Even when Huddersfield scored, it, it was almost like there was a, sh- a ripple of shock throughout the away end. We we sort of looked at it and thought, well, that's a bit ridiculous. Like, how have we conceded there? It was, you know, it was a, was a real shock. But then they just went down the other end and, and scored again. I think I saw one of your tweets, Jamie, where you said, um, no matter what pressure Huddersfield decided to put on us, um, if we if we needed to score um, another goal, we would have done and we could have done quite easily because it just felt like absolutely in control the whole game it was brilliant performance yeah I mean there were sort of field fans after the game saying oh we had the most possession we had all the ball blah 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 they had all the ball because we liked to play without the ball like, they did nothing with it they were never going to cause any problems it's it's quite it's quite funny listening to this we, we hear this from after every single match now uh, also, the opposition top, top team in the Premier League Leicester City are the same they like to play without the ball and then play on the carry attack it seems to work for them and it seems to work for us Absolutely. After every match, we hear the opposition fans saying how um, they didn't deserve to lose. They were a better team. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's like you say, I don't think they, they quite understand that that's how, that's how we let them play. That's our style of play. Uh, it's becoming quite amusing, really. You can pretty much predict um, what what the opposition fans are going to be saying afterwards now, even before the match starts. It's only rubbish. Tim Pot. <laughs> Never win the league. It's it's definitely a weird coincidence that we seem to be second best in all these games, yet keep winning them. There's obviously something not quite right. Um, the set pieces, James, two goals from set pieces in that first half. We scored a few from set pieces recently, but it was the start of the season when they were really being that effective. But it's 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 an important area to make the most of, isn't it? Because when you've got players like Ben Mee who can attack the ball that well, you need to be scoring from set pieces on a regular basis because they can be really cheap goals. Yeah, I think we were a strange team when it comes to set pieces. I think over the last couple of years, we'd blown sort of hot and cold. I remember obviously there was um, the first Premier League season where you know we never even looked close to to getting anything from a corner, and also we um, couldn't defend them either. And we couldn't defend them either. Yeah, set piece every week. And then, and then the next season we, we seemed really hot on them again, and then you know it's gone in sort of spells like that. And this season, obviously, we started really well and. Early on, Michael Keane was our uh, top goal scorer, solely from putting corners away. But um, I can't really remember the last time we scored one before the the Vaux one. Um, so we weren't very quiet on that front. And like you say, it's not really something that should happen when you've got players like Ben Mee. Who, I mean, is there anything he wouldn't head? I think he'd head the post if it was a, a benefit to us. Um, you know, I think you've got to put the ball in the right places from to to get on the end of it. And I think that has been our problem. You see, a lot of corners just don't make it past the first man, or they're too deep. Um, but if you put them in the danger areas, we've we've got people who can get on the end of them. Did we not have that? Was it a few seasons ago? Maybe it was a season before promotion. Did we, it was Ben Me, wasn't it? Who put his his head on a televised game? He literally put his head on somebody's boot. Yeah, and it was. Do you remember? Bedding, maybe. Oh, I remember that. It was a ridiculous header. Just. I'm, I think he lost a tooth against Wolves um, at Wolves this season. He's he, he's he has no fear. He has no fear. He just puts his head in the way of anything. He's quite an old-fashioned defender in a way. I think you don't get many like that anymore. Very much body on the line type players. Yeah, he just bounces back up. He must be made of some sort of elastic. 
He never gets he's injured either. He seems to get yeah, around of, and just never gets injured. I mean, injured. did the way he landed at foot against Fulham? He landed on his neck. It was like when you watch the Grand National and a horse falls and this sort of short in slow motion where its neck like folds in half. That happened to Ben Mee and he just got back up. Tom Heaton had one on as well, didn't he? It was, uh... He did, yeah, against Huddersfield on Saturday. It looked really bad. I was already mad. He didn't get he didn't get up quite as quick as Ben Mee did because Ben Mee just, you know. <laughs> His, his head's not really attached to his body. In all seriousness, though, I think uh, we were laughing about that chant earlier. I think it's a high time that we had a, a chant for Ben Mee, really, because he's very popular. It's not really been reflected in the in the songs and the chants from the, the terraces. And um, simple chants are best. Of course, we've got to say that. <laughs> Sing something simple as uh, someone who frequented away fans. <laughs> we used to sing quite often. <laughs> Kevin, for all the talk about Andre Gray costing... Fifty-eight billion pounds, or however much, and scoring twenty goals. Three different scorers at Huddersfield, and Stephen Ward scoring means that every outfielder in that side has now scored a league goal this season. Yeah, I was about to mention that myself. So you've just stolen my, uh, stolen my, awesome. my little stat there. Um, but yeah, I think you know we've obviously we've got we've got the top scorer in the league, and he's always gonna um, gonna pick out the headlines. And I think. If, if Sam Vokes had been scoring at the level he is, um, has been doing 2016 throughout the whole season, he'd be right up there as well. Um, but I think it, it, it hides the fact that we do um, we do share the goals out, um, and I, I think we the way we play because we play such a almost like a patient game and break very quickly. I think that that lends itself quite well to that. Um, and yeah, it, it's always nice to have have the entire team scoring and that's a really nice little stat to have I think particularly when you look at some teams who are so reliant on the strikers um, it's, it's nice for that isn't the case particularly when um, I think if you if you if you lose one of your strikers then there's potentially not as much concern um, if we're spreading the goals out as much yeah I think that's a good point and Volts is up to 12 now which is the same as players like Dembele and Forestieri you'd think of as more Pure type goal scorers and, and votes who I think we all consider to be a bit of a target man. He brings others into play a bit more than scoring a lot of goals himself. Okay, he's taken some penalties recently, but they've still got to get put away. And you only have to look at Barcelona to see how difficult taking penalties can be sometimes. What I also liked about the, the scorers at Huddersfield, the scorers at Huddersfield um, cost virtually nothing for the three of them. All the talk about all the money we spent, which as we know is a myth anyway. But other fans like to fans of other clubs like to bring that up. But Stephen Ward cost virtually nothing. Sam Volts only a few quid. Ben Mee wasn't expect wasn't expensive. The three of those probably cost a million quid, maybe between them. Very cheap for the number of games that we've got out of them as well. Um, Natalie, the the met the manner of the the victory at Huddersfield. I think it's every game against the bottom eight teams or so we've won this season. Now we just seem to have no problems at all with these teams that are at the bottom of the league, which is not really what Burnley have been like traditionally. We've often dropped t- dropped points against the, the poorer sides and then performed well against the top teams, but we've not done that this year. No, we haven't. Um, and actually, I, we we discussed this on Twitter over the weekend about this bottom eight side. And actually, I think somebody corrected us slightly and said that if you now include Blackburn in that and extend it to the bottom nine it's actually 54 out of 54 so it's it's a really great start and I think our competitors uh, our title 
competitors should really look at that because you know you see dull, uh, you see sorry dull <laughs> that's a good slip up um, Hull Borough and Derby all um, you know dropping points against those sides Middlesbrough lost you know uh, yesterday against Charlton um, you know people are dropping points against Dons and Rotherham and it, it, that's that's where you lose the title and it's really encouraging to see that we can just do the business and get all of those points in. I think it really uh, it really demonstrates the mental strength that our side have. Uh, we, we you know Sean Dyche talks so much about how we're we're not just a very good team as in the way we play, but it's our mental side that really gives us that edge. And with all due respect to teams down the bottom, teams like ourselves, Middlesbrough, Hull, Derby should beat them every single time. Um, despite you know the championship very strong league, but our squads are so much stronger than theirs. Um, but I think when you do lose to a team like that or drop points to a team like that, there's there's going to be some questions asked, asked about the mentality. It's always going to happen. Um, you know, it's, I think it's very rare for a team like for a team to win every single match like this. Now that just shows the real men, mental strength we've got. But we go into every single game, not just um, expecting we've won the game or not expecting an easy ride. We go into every game with that real. Um, desire to fight as much as we would against if we were playing the likes of Hull or Middlesbrough uh, and I think that's a real testament to the way that, that Sean Dyche sets us up oh, That's absolutely right I mean we've seen a couple of games against maybe MK Dons and Bristol City where we've beaten teams very easily and probably could have scored more goals but we've also shown that when we've needed to we've battled like going to Bolton having to come from behind with two late goals at Fulham where we could have easily been dead and buried at half time managed to come back and be in control not long after half time so we've certainly got that resilience and ability to bounce back and I think you're right I think that's been absolutely vital um, we'll talk about Middlesbrough and Dull City a bit later in the podcast but let's do Tweet of the Week next um, with Natalie Tweet of the Week 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 Indeed. Okay, so tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. (laughs) That was very, very professionally done, Jamie. I like it. Um, Right. This week has been obviously we've had two games where we could choose from, and there's been that much going on this week. With you know things were changing on a daily basis, that it was quite difficult really to pick one news or you know one piece of news or one particular event that warranted tweet of the week so with this week we've picked one from david thornley who has has quite nicely summarized the position at the top of the championship altogether now he sent this tweet before middlesbrough so i'm assuming that he would um have actually added the you know their debacle on there as well um in more detail but his tweet simply says borough falling apart hull can't beat mk at home and Derby blow a 3-0 lead. Meanwhile, we just get on with the job. And I think that's one of the um, good summaries that we found, is just everybody around us seems to be absolutely capitulating, and Burnley just seem to be keeping their heads and getting on with everything slowly. So that was our tweet of the week, David. Well done. Capitulating's a great word, by the way. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there, was one, there was one tweet, actually. I don't think it was... Um, it wasn't a Burnley fan. I think it was a Derby fan who tweeted... Imagine being 3-0 down at home and bringing on Leon Best, which probably seemed a very clever thing to tweet at the time, but not so clever after Leon Best has scored two goals in the last five minutes <laughs> to snatch a point. Um, Neil Warnock continues to do his favours, weirdly. Cosley Clara, obviously Neil Warnock. Um, moving on to Middlesbrough then. Very, very odd situation down there. I saw Karanka 
slated his players in the press again after they lost last week. And then had a, a row with them on the training ground, stormed out, apparently said he'd never manage them again, but then tried to turn up the following day and wasn't let in. Um, Steve Agnew took charge of their trip to Charlton at the weekend, where they were beaten 2-0 by the second worst team in the league. And really, even though they're still second in the table um, before Hull play on Tuesday night, it really feels like Middlesbrough just absolutely throwing it away. Um James, considering it's not that long ago when Sean Dyche and Joey Barton were talking about the pressure being on Middlesbrough, I think they had a seven-point lead on us. We're now seven points clear of them. Yeah, I think it was um, eight points clear for the Middlesbrough going into Boxing Day, or after Boxing Day. Um, so, you know, the turnaround to now is incredible, really, isn't it? And um, I, just don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say to describe what's happened there. They've, um, they've just absolutely lost it haven't they they've absolutely lost it they're in you know they've, they've cracked under the pressure and um, they, they don't look like they, there's a way back really for them now to you know to, to, to win the title I don't think it, it looks like it's not going to end anytime soon either I mean uh, I think one of the coaches um, had a, had on his jumper of a weekend for AK for Karanka's initials uh, as was pointed it as a, as a very clear sign of support to him <laughs> Uh, and you you think, you know, whatever's going, whatever's gone on, if 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 Middlesbrough are going to get promoted, they really need to put all this behind them now and just get a group together um, and perform as one unit going for the rest of the season. But it's when you've got one of the coaches doing that so publicly, it, it's just showing those those fractures are are, are just really are, are really deep, and I don't think it's gonna, I don't think they're going to be able to repair themselves until at least the summer. The bizarre thing is, Karanka obviously hasn't even gone yet. So, I mean, and, and if the reports are to be believed, it's over some of the senior players backing Stuart down and complaining he wasn't getting picked. It sounds like such a bizarre situation. I mean, obviously, ex Premier League footballer in has an ego shock um, as far as the Stuart Downing bit goes. It's not really a surprise, is it, that he wasn't happy he wasn't getting picked? But He's not been doing the business. So to imagine a side that's near the top and players turning on the manager like that, I mean, I think it's, it's incredible. It though. I mean, when they lost at Rovers before we played them, he sliced off the players again. I think as a manager, you can only do that so many times before the players just start to think, well, we're not going to play for you anymore. And I think that might be what's happened. And um, on the downing point, I think he chops and changes the team so often complete contrast to Burnley where you know what the eleven's going to be barring injuries and suspension every week but Karanka seems to make five six changes for every single game Jordan Rhodes obviously has gone there I think he's only started half the games since he start, since he signed for Middlesbrough it's no wonder he's not gelled but he's only scored one goal and he was supposed to be the guy that's going to guarantee the promotion and have the finishing touch it's just not worked out for them at all um, Natalie what's your view on what's going on at Borough? It's, it's just unbelievable it really is now I have the the rather brilliant scenario this season in that in my office I share a room with um my boss who is a Borough fan and my new trainee who's just started his seat with me this rotation who's a Blackburn fan so I'm loving life at work at the moment obviously so I get to speak to, to my boss quite a lot because like I say he's a, he's a seasoned holder at Borough and he's quite active on the forums and he, he gives me a lot of a lot of um you know, insider gossip, for, for want of a better expression. I just find, and he agrees with me, it's just, it's almost like 
their managers had a really disrupting influence on the team rather than a gelling influence. And Jamie, I think you and I discussed this way, way, way back at the beginning of the season on one of the earlier podcasts where we were a little bit frustrated with Deitch's relentless positivity where we kept saying, you know, sometimes I want him to come out and say what he's really thinking and, and you know, just say, look, that, that was rubbish, we'll do better. And it just goes to show that, you know, when managers do do that, um, it can have an, it can have a really destructive effect. And I just... I just find it bizarre. I, I don't understand. It, it feels like the manager's got a bigger ego than his players. And I, for me, your, your manager, if you're going to be successful, you can't have an ego. You've got to just leave it to one side and, you, you know, you've just got to get on with it. I think one thing's for sure is that Karanka can wipe uh, man management off his CV. Definitely. <laughs> You've certainly got a different way of going about it. I think it's similar maybe to Paul Clement at Derby. They've both worked at Real Madrid where you've obviously got extremely talented players who can do anything technical you ask them to. I think it's always different when you then drop to a lower level of playing. The players can't necessarily do everything that you're asking of them. You can't just send them out and say, right, we'll get the ball in the final third and then you do the rest because you're some of the best players in the world. It doesn't quite work that way, I think. I remember when Chris Waddle managed Burnley for that season, he seemed to be frustrated with the fact that the players weren't up to the the same sort of standard of quality as he was when he was a player. I think it is tough for managers in those situations. Clement and Karanka have both been assistants elsewhere, but not made it as managers yet. And I don't think there's any substitute for experience at this stage of the season. I think we've got Dash, who's been promoted before. Hull have got Steve Bruce, who's been promoted before. Brad, we've got Chris Hewton, who's got been promoted before, albeit a few more years ago. I think Karanka's just it's totally lost his head. He seems to have run out of ideas, and I'm not sure he really knows what he's doing. Um, Hull also dropped points we've just been talking about how safe and steady we've been against teams at the bottom but they were unable to win at home against the bottom side at the weekend they needed an equaliser in fact to get a point as well and they seem to be slipping up at a vital time Burnley seems to be extending their lead by the week at the moment Kevin every week it's the gap's getting bigger and I suppose it's it's early to call it with so many games to go, but at the moment it really feels like Burnley are virtually up. Yeah, I, I was talking earlier. I said it was essentially the the promotion unchallenged. It almost feels like everybody's fighting about who doesn't get promoted um, at the moment. And I, I think I was saying I was saying to Adam um, earlier in the week actually as well that it, it's almost getting to the stage where you're actually going to start wanting the other teams to win just so it makes it a bit more exciting because uh, if it carries on at the current form we're just going to we're just going to show and dash to be able to send the players out on holiday and just play the youth team and still get promoted um, but you know form form can change can change quickly and you know you never know what happens at Boa um, they, they could they, they, you know they could get over things now they could have a, a week this week where they have some home truths um, get everything out of the open uh, and maybe come come together a little bit, or maybe the whole situation could bring the squad together. Uh, that could I probably might not do, but you know it's something that could happen. Things can change very quickly. Um, we we could get we could get an injury or get something that happens to us. So it's, it's I think it's important not to not to get ahead of ourselves. And there's still some very very good quality teams beneath us um, who are vying for our spot. Um, but yeah, at the moment it's hard to see. It's very difficult to see us not winning the title. I think the problem is it's going to for us to not get promoted from here. It would need two of 
Borough, Hull, Brighton, and you could throw Derby in there as well. They're going to have to win six, seven, eight games in a row to even have a chance of catching us up. We probably need to win, what do you think, James, four, five more games to be certain of promotion? Um, I'd say five. Five more. That would be enough. Do you think what, sort of 90 points pretty much guarantees it, doesn't it? But it could be less than that with the team's chasing. Yeah, I mean, put pressure on we said it at the time, didn't we, last time? We were very unlucky um, to finish second, really, in many other seasons. There were the, you know, the points total we put up that year would have been enough. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say another five. What, what, did we go up on, what did we go up on last time? Was it 92? Was it 90? I want to say five. I want to say nine. Am I right? Is this is where I'm picking up on what you're saying, James. Wait, was it was it something bizarre? Like if we'd have had our points in any other season, we'd have actually gone up as champions. And we're, is that what you're saying? It was quite a high scoring it was, it was season. A, it was a it was a high. It, well, Leicester's total was exceptional. I think is um, the takeaway. Okay. It was 93 uh, points that we put up. Um, that would have won the title by eight points the season before that. Um, you know, which is quite... Oh, that is that is a massive jump, is that? Quite a distance. In fact, the season before the season before, Reading won it with 89. So, yeah, to say 90 points is normally yeah. guaranteed, that, I think, is uh, about, about right. Well, that gives us the five wins that Jamie mentioned, so that would should do it. Um. I suppose at this stage of the season we start looking at the other games that teams have got. Um, Borough and Hull do have those games in hand. Hull have one of those this week at home to Nottingham Forest who have their own problems with um, upheaval behind the scenes as always. The players didn't get paid on time this month either. Brighton have got Reading at home who've just been knocked out of the FA Cup so maybe have a bit of a hangover of that. But the big game that I suppose we're all looking forward to Friday night is Middlesbrough against Hull. Um, they can't both lose the game <laughs> so what, what would be the, the best result from a Burnley point of view do you think Natalie for that match uh, oh surely a draw I would have thought that seems to be the most obvious answer doesn't it Do, what does that yeah if, if, they, if they draw uh, like a nil-nil draw so there's no goal difference catching up then um, I su- oh, yeah I'm going to go draw because I think either I don't want either one of them to have a confidence boost of a win over their promotion uh, rivals apart from us so I think a, a draw is a good result for us for draw, that draw is the obvious result because then out of the three points possible they're only getting one each um, but I suppose you could argue that it would be better for us if there was a big gap between second and third so we've got the cushion there instead. Yeah, so in that sense, then, you would probably want Hull to win because Hull look more likely, I think, than Middlesbrough of getting second place. Maybe. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on this? I suppose it's irrelevant to an extent in that if we beat Wolves on Saturday, we'll stay as far clear as we are now, but Middlesbrough against Hull is a, a big game in the, the chasing pack behind us. Definitely, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a huge game. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with Natalie. I think a draw would be a, a probably the best result for us um, for a number of reasons. One, like you said, is for you don't want them picking up the, the confidence of, of beating uh, a promotion rival. And you've also got it, then each team is only picking up that one point then, um, which means that's that's two two less points than they, than they would have. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm definitely rooting for a, a really boring um, nil-nil draw. Some sendings off and injuries will be quite useful. <laughs> Previewing our match, then Wolves versus Turf Moor team. Again, we've had a pretty patchy record against the paint in recent years. Uh, but they're sort of solidly mid-table, not much chance of the playoffs. They're way too far adrift of the top six, but also well clear. So sort of dead rubbers for them towards the end of the season, James. But sometimes teams come to Turf more and they play with a bit of freedom because they're expected to lose. What are you expecting from Wolves on Saturday? Um, I think they'll come and give it a go. They're, they're, they're an interesting team, I think, of Wolves. Um... You know they're not awful, but they're not great. I think you know they can get a result against anyone on their day, but um, I'd expect us really to to dispatch them quite quite comfortably. I think you know if you you look over, well, it goes back quite a while now, doesn't it? Since we got beat by Preston at home, um, we're unbeaten since then at home, and we've only conceded like one goal, I think. Um, yeah, no, one goal since at home since we got beat by Preston. So um, I really can't see past us uh, winning comfortably. They've had some good results this season, Wolves, but as you say, it's been consistency the problem for them. Um, There's three without a win at the moment, but they did beat Derby quite recently and they won at Brighton um, on New Year's Day. Not many teams have won at Brighton, so that's a good result. It shows they can do it, but since then... They haven't won any away, so that was their last win, um, sort of ten weeks ago. Um, Kevin, do you agree with James that this is a, the sort of game that, that Burnley should really be looking to win fairly comfortably? I suppose if if we do have aspirations to be in that top two, you need to win the vast majority of your home games. It's that simple. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm not sure. I, I don't think there's too many games we've won this season really comfortably. Um, but I think that's just that's just not how we how we how we play. Um, so I'm not I'm not particularly at this stage of the season. I'm not too bothered about comfortably if we if we do what we've done for, for a lot of the season, have play averagely for most of the game and have a ten minute spell where we do really well. That's that's fantastic for me. But yeah, we need we need to be winning this match, and I'm very 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 confident that we will. By comfortably, I'm not saying it needs to be like four 0 five 0 I think Huddersfield was a comfortable win in that we were always in control and two goal lead was always going to be enough. Um, the last eight games at the Surf James have just mentioned how strong we've been. It's seven wins and just one draw from the last eight games. Seventeen goals scored and one conceded. So just shows how strong we've been. And having that fortress Surf more, Natalie, it's going to be absolutely vital in the next few weeks. If, as we think, four or five wins could be enough, we could get them all at home. We certainly could, and I do expect um, some real atmosphere at, at Turf in the running towards the end of the season. You know, we have expressed frustration a little bit about how quiet Turf can be at times, and when attendances are down, and, and you know, fans are a little bit nervous, it can have quite a subdued atmosphere. Um, I'm hoping now that when people can see us, hopefully going for the you know for the title itself, and people look at our our fixtures as well. You know, the running between now and the end of the season isn't that bad. You know, obviously Burham and Brighton, and I think Preston away as well looks a little bit you know like a, a spanner in the works. But on the whole, we've got some really good games. I think people will see that and they'll get on turf. More people will get you know will come on, and I expect to to really rally behind the lads. 
Yeah, it should be a big crowd. Worth to mention attendances after um, someone had a go at me for <laughs> apparently being um, hypocritical for not being at the derby. But yeah, hopefully we'll see. Terrible it. fan. Terrible. Nice. Yeah, it was nice to read those comments the day after I'd travelled all the way to Fulham. But yeah, leaving that to one side. I think some of the games we've got coming up are against these sort of mid-table teams that technically shouldn't have that much to play for. I think we've got Leeds to play again, don't we? Wolves are in there. Preston probably aren't going to get in the playoffs either. So I think they're possibly the most ideal games to have at this stage because their seasons are effectively over. Um, one last question then. Does it suit us for the, the Middlesbrough and Hull game to be before we play so we know what we've got left to do? Or would we rather be able to stretch our lead further? There's a chance that our lead could be cut quite drastically Um if Hull do the business and get two wins, for example, Hull could close that gap to a very, very small margin. It would just be a couple of points. Do you think that has any impact, James, or is it just total focus on us winning our games at the moment? I mean, it's just focus on, on us doing what we've been doing. Um, you know, Obviously, the only team in the Championship to, to have not been beaten in uh, 2016. Um, and you'd, you know, if we just keep that up till the end of the season, I think... You know, that's probably going to be enough, isn't it, really, with the, the way Middlesbrough are playing, I think. As long as we, we tick over sort of the rate we've been going, um, then we, we'll probably get the job done. Yeah, Hull could get to within three points if they were to beat um, Reading and then Middlesbrough this week, but I suppose it's unlikely that they'd win both the current form. Um, as always, then, we'll round off with predictions. We are all very confident last week, predicted two away wins, and we got them. Um, I would hazard a guess that it might be a clean sweep again. On the old predictions front, Natalie will start with you. Give us a scoreline for Burnley against Hulls at Turf Moor on Saturday afternoon. I am going to go with a very convincing Burnley win. And I'm going to go with a return to huge goal-scoring route. So I'm going to go 4-0 Clarets. 4-0. Could it be the, the Andre Gray hat-trick, James? Oh, you stole my prediction. I was going to, I was going to say that, um, you know, uh, we've only had one goal where we've won by one of them. A one goal, one game where we've won by more than a one goal margin since uh, we beat Derby four one. Um, so you know it's about two months, isn't it, since we we put four on the board at home? So um, yeah, I think we'll go back to to scoring four or more, and Andre Gray will get a hat trick. <laughs> Definitely goal fest. He's due by by due a hat trick. <laughs> James Natalie predicting goal fest at the turf. Then he was confident, Kevin, or would a, a scrappy one 0 be enough? Well, I think we're going to struggle. Actually, I think it might be a, a three one defeat. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm only joking. Oh, um, no, no, it's going to be. <laughs> I thought you were being serious, then, Kevin. I was like, oh my god, no, let's not do this. <laughs> so Natalie, I know you get really nervous already, so I, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you at all. Uh, no, I think it'll be a. Yeah, a, a, a 2-0 win. Um, Sam Vokes getting on a goal sheet, obvs. Um, and I'd like to see David Jones score. David Jones is certainly overdue for a goal. That's it for this week's No Day Ever podcast then. Thanks to everyone who's listened. Thanks also, a special thank you to Matthew and Martin who provided our Tweet of the Week jingle. Please let us know what you think of that on the email or via Twitter, you can email us at podcast at net. Send us any thoughts, ruminations, reactions to the podcast there. You can also tweet us as well at net. even. net would be a totally different thing. Because I was about to say, Natalie will be keeping an eye on Twitter for Tweet of the Week. Um, 
possible winners for next week. But it's Burnley against Wolves at the turf on Saturday. Hopefully another win. Burnley extend their lead at the top of the table. That would be perfect. But that's it for this week's podcast. We'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Tuneless whistling. Tuneless whistling. (laughs) Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.